0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Having a good, good Christmas season so far. Yeah. All right. Well, good. It, you look like you're having a good time out there. Sure. Glad that you're here today. Want to welcome all of those joining us online. We're sure glad to have you here apart with us, gathering around worship, gathering around God's word, what we all have in common. Amen. We have this. This is our unity. Hey, a couple of things while we're in the Christmas season. A lot of things coming and happening. Just want to make sure we remember uh, Christmas Eve, 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock, and 7 o'clock online. We'll be doing just the online uh, service this year because of everything going on. And that feels like a loss. That's not the way we do it. But, you know, trying to make uh, lemonade out of lemons, you know, an opportunity that this gives us is if you've got friends or or family that lives in other parts of the country, you, you can actually watch that together. And, uh, you know, one of you, one, one device is, is doing the online worship, the other, another device, maybe FaceTime, and you can kind of gather with family and friends around and kind of be celebrating and sharing. Uh, in the same time of worship. So I encourage you to think about how you might do that. But 3, 5, and 7 online on Christmas Eve. It's a little over a 30-minute service. I think it's going to be uh, really special. I'm a little bit biased, but I think it's going to be a, a, a special opportunity. hope you can take advantage of that. Then December 27th, the Sunday after Christmas, we're going to be uh, celebrating in the Lord's Supper. And uh, we've got it all set up. You're The only person that will touch your Lord's Supper is... Is you, so if there's something bad on it, that look at your own hands, okay? Because uh, we did our part, but uh, we will have a very safe, effective way to to do Lord's Supper on that day. And I've got a message, a special message that day. It just kind of a burden on my heart for the the church, the church in America, our church here. And so we'll be doing that on the 27th, and then January 3rd, starting a f- series called Why Family. You know, usually when we think about family, our, our question is not why, it's how, right? How do I have a better marriage? How do I raise these kids? How do I make my mate do this or, or that? We're wanting to figure out how to fix something. And you know what? A lot of the hows are kind of hard. <laughs> They're a little bit challenging. And what helps us work through the how is the Why? Why do we have, why are we doing it? Why am I being a husband? Or why are we doing marriage or parenting? Why are we doing these things? And when we hear God's answer... I think what you're going to find is a, a, a great motivation and a great reason to take on the house uh, when we do that. So that'll be starting January 3rd. We'll be going through January and February with that. I believe uh, we, we we see a growing crowd and hopefully with a vaccine and the turn of the year, we'll see even more coming back. And so we know it's, it's you know, we're social distancing. is a little bit of a challenge here. We're looking at adding a third service uh, as soon as possible, probably sometime in January, that the issue, the challenge, isn't what's happening up here. Uh, the preacher and the worship team can, can get a third service, but really it's what goes on back there. Uh, things like nursery, uh, who is just barely holding on right now with the volunteers they have to say, oh, we, we need now another service. So really what we're what the slowness in bringing that about is not what goes on in here. It's it's building that core of workers back there. So, man, if you'd like to see us bring on that third service, believe that's important for what we're trying to offer in the world that we're in. Uh, I, I can tell you, we, we need help taking care of children, taking care of babies, and a handful of other things, too. But I hope you'll consider how you might uh, be a part of that. But today, today we're moving toward Christmas. And we're continuing in our Christmas series with Isaiah Nine six. I don't know if you noticed in our music this morning, but uh, the, the the worship team had in about every song the words out of Isaiah nine six out of our our passage this Christmas. A child, a child is born to us. A, a son is given, and the government is going to rest on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Think about giving a child the title Everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. So we've, we've already spent three weeks on this one verse, one Sunday, looking at this idea, this, this concept of a government, not of a nation, of the universe a government resting on this child's shoulder, this child carrying the governing of all things. And then we spend a week each on Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God, looking at all of those, what those titles, what they say about Jesus and what they mean to us. And it says a lot about Jesus and it means a lot to us. And so we're continuing in that vein today, taking on that third title, Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. You know, I made the comment, uh, I, th- I think two weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, that I-, I wondered if Isaiah fully grasped, fully understood what he was writing. And you, you remember, the-, the-, the word of God does not originate in the hearts of men. It-, it originates in the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that reveals and guides those writers to give us what we have and what we today call the Bible. And, uh, there's actually a handful of places in the scripture where the writer all but says, I, I don't have a clue. <laughs> I'm hanging on to understand this. Did you know that Peter actually said Paul's writings were hard to understand? So, you know, you, you, even they're under the influence of the Spirit, you wonder, did they fully grasp? And, and Isaiah, now I don't know. I'm not saying he didn't grasp. I, I just wonder when he's describing this child, if he fully grasp what he's describing. Because it is so much more than a a great king, a great hero, a a, a prophecy of somebody great to come. He is describing God. There's just no other way to look at it, especially with last week's title and what we're looking at today. He's describing a God. But wait a minute. A God that's born? A child is born born so wait a minute i've got a god that is being born but born kind of implies a beginning and we got a title here that says everlasting so which is it does he is he being born and have a beginning or is it everlasting it's kind of confusing isn't it and maybe a little bit more than confusing we might even ask hey wait a minute would this be would this be blasphemy so isaiah lives in a world much of the ancient world was polytheistic that that believes they believed in many many gods now that is not the same as being tolerant of other people's face. Today, uh, a lot of discussion about, eh, you know, hey, everybody has their own truth, everybody has their own God, you know, you res- I respect yours, you respect mine, and we call that, that tolerance. We're just supposed to accept that there's lots of ways out there. That, that's not quite what a polytheistic world was. It wasn't that I was tolerant of other gods. It's that I believed there are many, many, many gods out there. And mine is mine and yours is yours. And we don't need to share. We don't even need to get along. I may not tolerate your God at all, even though I acknowledge, even though I recognize he, he's a God. You know, I, I think, and I don't, this may be too denigrating, but I, I think they kind of followed gods almost like we followed football teams. You know, I've got my team, you've got your team, and mine's the best, even though mine may not be so good at the moment, right? I mean, I, I follow the Denver Broncos, and we're horrible right now. I mean, this is how bad the Broncos is. I don't think this has ever been true in the NFL. The Broncos are so bad right now that I literally am a candidate for a starting quarterback next Sunday, I mean, you don't even have to be on the team to be the starting quarterback for the Denver Broncos right now. So I, if I'm not here next Sunday, I, I, if they called, I'd probably say yes. Okay, so that, that's, that, that's where I might be. So we're bad. Now I can say that about my team, but it's still my team. And as bad as they are, I still hate the Kansas City Chiefs. They're horrible, and, and there's nothing, there's no quality, there's no achievement, there's nothing about the Chiefs that is ever going to make me say, I want to be a Kansas City Chiefs fan. I don't even understand Kansas City Chiefs fan. I got two right over there, and I just don't even know what to do with, with them. You know. Now listen, I can just say that about the Chiefs, but at the same time, I can acknowledge they're the better team right now. Not only are they the better team right now, they may be the best team in the NFL, and they may be about to win back-to-back Super Bowls. So you think, well, gosh, so you clearly think they're an awesome team. No, I hate them. I I don't want anything good for the Kansas City Chiefs. I I want something good for my my team. Are y'all following me? I'm not going too fast, am I? Okay, so now take out the word team of everything I've just said for the last 90 seconds and put in the word God that's a polytheistic worldview. That's a polytheistic understanding. I've got my God, you've got yours. Hey, you know what? Your God may even look better than mine right now, but my God's still my God. And I, I don't want anything to do with your God. Now inside this polytheistic worldview, you have an outlier. You've got an oddball, the Jewish faith. Judaism is absolutely unique, stands completely alone in this idea, not of a polytheistic world, but of a monotheistic world. One God. We believe in one God. One, 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 one. One is not two. One is not three. One is not many. It's not there's one God that is mine and you have yours. No, I have the real God. Yours is a fake. Yours is not real because there's only one. Okay, I know, going fast, but one God. Okay, so a key verse, a key verse in in the Old Testament. When I say key, I'm talking about one verse that every Old Testament Jew would know. Every Old Testament Jew would be able to recite. There's over 23,000 verses in the Old Testament, and there's one that everybody had. And that's Deuteronomy 6, 4. It's called the great Shema. Shema is a Hebrew word. It means to hear. It's the first word in that verse. But it's not just that, hey, we'll call it the great Shema because that's the first word. No, this is the great thing to hear. This is the great truth to have go into your ears and and into your soul. This, This is the great thing. For your ears to hear the great Shema. It's Deuteronomy 6 4. I've got it on the screen for you. It would have sounded like this Shema Yisrael, Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh Echad. The Lord our God, the Lord is. He's one. One. That was a profound statement. You and I could read by, by that and go, oh, yeah, sure. But remember, that's a verse being revealed. In a world that says there's many, 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 many gods. No, there's not. There's one. One eternal, all-powerful, everlasting, all-knowing, everywhere-present God. His name is Yahweh as revealed at the burning bush to Moses. One God. Has a name, Yahweh. But that one God, as we walk through the Old Testament, is going to reveal various character qualities, various titles of himself. And one way he's going to be known is as Father. Now, the way you and I are going to think about God as Father is not at all the way the Old Testament Jew would have thought of God as Father. When they thought of God as Father, it was really in a very limited way. As a matter of fact, in the entire Old Testament, and just to kind of put this in perspective, you know, when we pick up our Bible, we think, oh, okay, half of it, half of it's the Old Testament, half of it's the New Testament, right? Well, it's not really half. You may have never looked at it, but 77% of your Bible is the Old Testament, 77% most of this book is the old testament and in most of that book 77% God is only referred to as father 20 times only 20 times and in a very specific way I've got two verses from the old testament that kind of represent that you have Malachi two don't all of us have one father didn't God create us all and then Exodus 4.22, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. God is the father of creation and God is the father of Israel. When you hear the word, the idea of father in the Old Testament, it's going to be that right there and that alone. God, the father of Israel, God, the father of creation. And so they would have thought of God as a father, but they would not call him father. Father. As a matter of fact, they'd be bothered that you called him father. They would never use that kind of uh, familial language, that kind of intimacy in referring to God. Now, the reason you do that and I do that is because along comes Jesus and he talks to God and calls him what all the time? Father. As a matter of fact, not only does Jesus call God father, but he tells you and me to call him father, right? As a matter of fact, y'all remember that day we were all sitting around talking and he said, Hey, let me teach y'all how to pray. When you pray, say this, our father. I mean, he tells us, Hey, when you look to heaven and call out to God, talk to him as father, not father of creation, not, not father of Israel, just father. And that drove the Pharisees nuts. I mean, like nuts to the point of, we need to kill this guy. This is not okay. See, they saw that as blasphemy. They saw that as enormously irreverent. You don't refer to God like that. You're you're making yourself his equal. And this is why they crucified him. I don't know if you're new to the Bible, maybe new to the, new to the Christian faith, just exploring this. You know, this guy Jesus came to the world, to his people, and they killed him. What was that about? Why did that happen? They, they killed him, not for a long list of high crimes and misdemeanors. They executed Jesus for one reason. He called God his father. And you know, the truth of it is they didn't, they should have been even more mad about it. They didn't even fully grasp what he was completely saying when he said that. As a matter of fact, look at, look up on the screen at John 1030 at, at what Jesus said, and I'm gonna read a few verses beyond verse 30. But, but Jesus didn't just say, I'm equal with God. He didn't just say, I'm in a familial relationship with God. Actually, what he said is, I and the Father are one. We are one, okay? And so the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. You know, I've actually heard people say that that Jesus never actually claimed to be God. Now, not, not only is that a statement of just incredible ignorance, because he clearly claimed to be God, we just saw it happen right here. And you say, well, but how do we know that's what he meant? I and the father of... Maybe he's just saying, I'm really close. You know, if, you, if we don't understand something or we're wondering what it means, I mean, it, it's another language, right? Another language, another culture, another context, another time. How do we really know? Well, look at what the listeners that were in that culture, in that language, in that context, in that time. What did the hearers of Jesus' words understand him to be saying? That they understood him to be saying he was God. He is claiming to be God. And for this, they are, they are going to stone him. And, and so Jesus makes this claim. That I and the Father are one. Now let me state the obvious here. Okay, Jesus is the author of Deuteronomy 6.4. It is Jesus through the Holy Spirit that revealed to Moses the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And Jesus is not contradicting himself. Jesus is not contradicting the idea that God is one. There is the personality of the Father, there is the personality of, of Jesus, and they are one God. He's not contradicting one God. And he goes even further than that. In John uh, chapter 14, a few chapters after what we just read, in John 14 verse 9, Jesus gives this very profound statement. He says, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. When you see me, when you look at me, you are looking at the father, do, 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 do we grasp how big that statement is? You know, I, I have uh, two sons. I have two daughters also. You know, I've been here long enough now. My kids have grown up and moved away. You know, like half our church thinks of me as a young father with a bunch of kids. And half our church that's come since then thinks that guy never has any kids. I have kids, I promise. I've got the bills to prove it. Two boys, two girls, my two sons, man, they look a lot like me. They act a lot like me. They talk a lot like me. One really in particular looks a lot me. It has the same glasses, everything. I, I, I mean, those are my boys. Now, if you'd never met my boys, and, and a lot of you in here haven't, and you ended up like on a plane or something next to one of them, you, you'd be sitting there, of course, with the middle seat open because we don't use that seat anymore. But you'd be talking to one of them. You would not be talking to them for more than five minutes when you'd go, I feel like I've met you before you seem really really familiar to me and and when it came together when the somehow the connection was made oh of course how could I miss that man you guys look alike talk alike you act alike I, I I mean they they are my boys I would even say I think I'd use this word almost a little metaphorically man we're one we're close but I am not my boys and my boys are not me If you know me, it is still a separate and different experience to know one of them. Now do you understand how profound what Jesus is saying? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There's nowhere else to go. There's nothing else to see, nothing else to hear, nothing else to experience. There's not something more out there where you get the rest of God. When you see me, you have all of God. You, you've, you've got the whole thing right here. And, of course, as we're trying to grasp, okay, two personalities, there's a father and a son. But they're not two, they're one. I mean, as if we can get our arms around that, well, Jesus isn't going to stop there, is he? As a matter of fact, in John 14, which I just quoted, he'll be, he'll be talking about the third, the Holy Spirit, and many passages developing that idea of one in three and the three in one. The, the mystery of the Holy Trinity is what Jesus is introducing here. Oh, wait a minute. I just said something wrong. <laughs> I, I use the word introducing. Introducing, that, that would imply we've never met this idea before. That would imply we've never met, never seen, never heard this idea. So I need to introduce it to you. Now, that's how the Pharisees heard it, that Jesus was introducing a new idea, a wrong idea, an idea he should be executed for. But, but was Jesus really introducing something that had never been said before? That's, that's what they heard. Who is this person? I and the Father are one. When you've seen me, you've, when you've seen the child... When you've seen the Son, you've seen the Father. How irreverent. How how blasphemous. When maybe what they should have said is, Hey, didn't, didn't Isaiah tell us to be looking for this? You know, folks, God knows there's aspects of who and what he is that is very complex. Very big, much more than can fit inside our brain. And so to help us, he backs way up and, and he gives little pieces so we can build a little at a time. And when it all gets put together, we go, oh, there's God being God. that There's God doing and saying and showing what he's been doing and saying and showing all along. Did, did not, I mean, you think of what they're, they're watching prophecy being fulfilled they know somebody great is coming. He's going to be born in Bethlehem, born of a, a virgin. They, they know that. They know there's this prophecy of people, you know, great dignitaries coming to see him. I mean, all of this stuff is happening. Now they're looking at Jesus as an adult and he's raising the dead. Seems like that would stop and make you go, who is this guy? He's he's raising the dead, he's giving sight to the blind, he's he's feeding the multitudes, he's teaching about God in a way that the listeners of that day said, we've never heard anything like this. We've, We've never heard somebody teach about God like this. You start putting all this together, and really there was a lot of reason for them to say, hey, wait a minute, is this who Isaiah was talking about? God isn't sneaking up on us and and contradicting himself. God isn't sneaking up on us and changing things and doing something a whole new way. No, 800 years ago, God said, a child will be born. A son will be given. A child that is The everlasting father. Not a child that's like the everlasting father. Not a child that is very, very close to the everlasting father. The child will be the everlasting father. I would never stand before you and try to say the Trinity is easy to understand. (laughs) This concept of there's these three personalities but it's one God... Incredibly difficult to understand. But it is what God has consistently revealed over and over and over. So two lessons today. Number one, Jesus is God. When you see Jesus, when you look at him and understand his his personality, his character, what's important to him, how he responds, how he reacts, what he does, what he says. When you're looking at the Jesus of the Gospels, you are seeing the entirety of God. There's nothing to see, hear, experience, or understand somewhere else. And the second thing we learn in this is that God is entirely consistent with who He is and how He has revealed Himself. Yahweh, Jesus, Spirit of the Old Testament is identical in every way to Yahweh, Jesus, Spirit of the New Testament. What they should have done is not crucify him. They should have fell down and worshipped him. As we come to this annual time of year where we... We don't usually refer to Jesus as a child the other 11 months, right? But during this time of year, the child, the babe of Bethlehem, the child in the manger. Child, child, child. Just remember this. God said that child... Is the everlasting Father. And He is wholly worthy of your worship. Everything you are, everything you have should be given to exalting, acknowledging, lifting high, and worshiping this babe in Bethlehem in your heart and in your life. You give yourself to this child. And you let everything that is you be shaped. And molded and guided and directed by all that is him. Amen. Our God is awesome. And, and he talks slow for us, doesn't he? <laughs> hey, I'm going to do something. You're not going <laughs> to. There's no way your puny brains will be able to process this. But, but one day, one day, a child is the everlasting father. 800 years later, I and the Father are one. When you've seen me, you've seen it all. Let's pray. And Jesus, before you we do bow, and before you we do worship. God, I thank you that when I read your word, there's no negligences. There's no failures. There's no contradictions. There's just truth. Truth to live and shape my life by. And some of that truth is hard. Some of that truth I don't like. Some of that truth I don't want to do. So God, I thank you that you have revealed in a way that shows me you are wholly worthy of of me submitting and yielding to all that you are. That you are wholly worthy worthy of me submitting to you, making me everything you have created and designed me to be. Oh Lord, it's not our goodness, it's not our wisdom, it's not our spirituality that would be able to see that the child is the everlasting Father. It's your goodness, it's your grace, it's your revelation. That's why I know that. Thank you. Thank you for letting me know that. Thank you for revealing that to all of your creation. And now may we each one respond just as we should. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.